Hello everyone, it's me, your boy D, and I'm here to give you this piping hot tea. Hope everyone's having a good day today. I just want to jump on here and just do a quick little podcast episode for you all. So, I've been gone for quite some time because I just got real busy with work and travel and I started this writing class and that's been taking up a lot of my time. But I just want to jump on here and just do some quick little podcast episodes for you all. Um, So, let's begin. Now... Hold on. Thought I heard something. Okay. Now, the Supreme Court um, issued a bunch of rulings yesterday and this morning. And when I tell you people have just lost their minds all over the place about this, you know, it, it, it's insane. Um, I'm going to play you all some clips, but I just want to say... It's just very interesting that a year ago, around the same time, the Supreme Court voted to um, to do away with Roe v. Wade, which made abortion legal nationwide in America. And, you know, fast forward a year later, the Supreme Court has just undone, you know, another historic, historic um, landmark case. And, you know, I just wonder how all of this will affect the um, the election of 2024 next year. So I'm just wanna play you all some clips and I'll come back with the rest of my commentary. Okay, in fact, I just was told we have confirmed now, we got the case 303 Creative. This is uh, involving a web designer who wants to create a wedding website, but not serve gay couples. And so now let's go back to Julia Ainsley with the details. That's right, this was a 6-3 Gorsuch decision. The court siding with the web designer saying that she can refuse service to a gay couple for their wedding website design. It's unclear now, we're still reading through it to see how this is different from other issues that have come before the Supreme Court, like a cake maker, for example, who refused uh, to provide a a wedding cake for a gay couple. This issue came down to free speech because of the website, we're seeing how they're able to draw differences of why a wedding website would be different from a wedding cake. Uh, again, still reading through, but for now, they are siding with that web designer saying it is okay to refuse her services to a gay couple for their wedding website. And again, that decision was authored by Justice Gorsuch. Your reaction, Kenji? Yeah, absolutely. So I see that it's a 6-3 decision with the three liberals dissenting. Uh, I will try to answer the question of how it's different from the Masterpiece Cake Chop case, which is decided in 2018, which concerned the wedding cake. Really importantly, this is a free speech case rather than a free exercise case. I obviously haven't read the opinion yet. But one thing that we do already know is when you topple over from free exercise to free speech, the exemptions can potentially be much broader. So two ways in which free speech exemptions differ. Free speech exemptions can be asserted against anyone. So prior limitations in the free exercise cases that say you can't use religious reasons to discriminate against racial minorities, that restriction would potentially not obtain in a free speech context. In the free speech context, the courts repeatedly said one of the things we celebrate about the free speech uh, jurisprudence is that we uh, protect even the speech that we hate. So a web designer could say, I'm not actually going to make a website for an interracial couple, and that could potentially be okay under free speech. Or I wonder about other goods and services and the use of free speech to put a sign on a door saying I don't want to serve somebody. 
major breaking news out of the Supreme Court. In a blockbuster opinion, the court outlawed affirmative action in college admissions. That means that universities can no longer consider race when looking at applications. It was a 6-3 decision written by Chief Justice John Roberts, and that ruling overturned almost 50 years of precedent. Now, universities and colleges are scrambling to revisit and revise their existing practices and policies. NBC News correspondent Julia Ainsley joins us now from just outside the Supreme Court there in Washington. Julia, I know you've been following this case from the beginning, and let's be clear, this is a big deal. This is the most significant decision half a century on the use of race in college admissions. It affects lots of families. Tell us what this actually means in terms of kids who are applying to college. Yeah, you're right. Well, it's a huge decision. Affirmative action as we know it has ended. That means for college applicants, they will no longer be applying to a college where the college sees on a piece of paper their race. Now, what Justice Roberts did say in his majority opinion, though, was that they should feel free, applicants should feel free to talk about how race has impacted their lives. He says if it has been a matter of, if it has been discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise, that's how they found their courage. If that's what made them who they are, they should be able to talk about that on their college application. Also, we've seen a lot of people responding, including Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, former President Trump saying, look, it should all be meritocracy. I do want to emphasize that this decision does not simply put us in a place where we're taking the top test scores. In fact, the justices here always said diversity was something that colleges should be able to try to garner across their student bodies. What they're saying today is that race should not be the only factor. And they left the door open to try to look at other ways that they could make racially diverse and socioeconomically diverse student bodies. All right, Julia, so you're saying that students still can talk about this in their applications, in the essays. Explain to us what the justification was for the majority here in making this decision. You look back to 2003 when there was a ruling related to University of Michigan Law School and whether or not they could consider race in the context of trying to have a more diverse student body. Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, in the majority opinion back then, 19 years ago, suggested that that type of ruling might not be necessary in 25 years. Was time used to argue why they made this decision? You know, they didn't. In fact, what they said is that UNC and Harvard simply went too far in their admissions programs. And it's not just going to apply to those two schools, of course, because so many public schools follow a similar model as UNC and so many private schools follow the similar model as Harvard. And so this will apply around the country and you know what they're saying here is that when you look at race even though you know we're not in a place where we necessarily were any different than we were in 2003 what they are showing here is they say it goes too far and it violates the equal protection clause under the 14th amendment by looking at race specifically now i mean julia this is really interesting because sort of in handing down this decision this is where we saw some of the most dispirited arguments from the court right especially when they were questioning the lawyers from harvard and this is interesting because harvard we've got a public uh, private university unc we've got a public university and experts say that this decision basically ensures that the student bodies at elite universities in this country are about to become a lot more white and a lot more asian and a lot less black and a lot less latino what do the dissenters say 
Well, it was interesting. We saw from Justice Jackson, who, by the way, had to recuse herself in the Harvard decision because of her affiliation with Harvard. But she did write a dissenting opinion in the UFC case and said that deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. Although formal race-linked legal barriers are gone, race still matters to the lived experiences of all Americans in innumerable ways. In today's ruling, makes things worse, not better. We also saw a dissenting opinion uh, led by Kagan as well. Uh, I'm sorry, led by Justice Sotomayor. Kagan agreeing with Sotomayor. These justices saying today what the majority has decided is going to make things worse. Sorry. 24 hours after striking down affirmative action, the justices have now issued a significant decision concerning President Biden's student debt relief plan and a crucial ruling involving LGBTQ rights and free speech, both high stakes decisions that will have lasting impact on millions of Americans across the country. We do begin here with the justices striking down President Biden's controversial student debt relief plan that would forgive student debts for more than 43 million Americans at a cost of $400 billion, two lawsuits challenge the legality of that plan. Let's go ahead and bring in ABC's senior national correspondent, Terry Moran. Terry, break down the decision. And a lot of this had to do with the Biden administration overstepping its authority. That's right. And this is a huge case. As you say, 43 million people were eligible for up to $10,000 of debt relief under this program. The Supreme Court strikes that down because it says that President Biden and his Secretary of Education exceeded the authority that the law passed by Congress gave them. Uh, what, the, what the administration had tried to do was waive or modify the terms of the loan by forgiving the debt altogether. And what the Supreme Court says here, that that is beyond the power of the president. Only Congress can waive that much debt, $400 billion, that it is such a large amount and such a sweeping assertion of presidential authority to modify the terms of the loans that way, uh, that it exceeds presidential power, that Biden acted beyond his powers uh, in, in this opinion. The court saying, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts writing for the six conservatives on this court, uh, saying that the administration had asserted the authority to cancel $430 billion of student loan principal, that they had the authority to do that. It does not is what the court says, uh, that that is a major question for Congress to answer. So this is a blow to all of those people across the country who were hoping that the uh, Biden plan that had been announced last year to forgive these debts would be approved by the Supreme Court. It's not the only place uh, that the court says that can be done is Congress passing a law to forgive that much Debt. Terry, wait. thank you. And stay with us here. Let's bring in ABC's senior Washington reporter, Devin Dwyer, because Devin, uh, just for a little bit more clarity here, there were two separate cases. There were a couple people who brought their uh, case forward and it had to do with fairness. But at the end of the day, it was the rights of the states and those states that challenged this. They're the ones who prevail. Yeah, six Republican-led states with, uh, brought the challenge to the Biden student debt relief plan. That's a sig significant sub-headline here. The court affirming the ability of Missouri and others to sue the Biden administration to block this plan. Uh, on a rather tenuous basis, the court today saying that because Mohila, which is the nation's largest student loan servicer, is based in Missouri, it has ties to Missouri, effectively it gave Missouri what's called standing, the ability to bring this case. Mohila, of course, would have suffered 
suffered uh, significant losses on its books if the Biden administration erased all those loans. So uh, the court today said it would be impacted. Missouri would be impacted. Uh, but the bottom line in all of this with students, with uh, all of that debt on their hands, federal student loan debt will soon uh, have to begin repaying those loans. There's been a moratorium on federal student loans for the past three years. The administration says those payments will now resume this fall. But good news for critics of this plan and those uh, concerned taxpayers who are worried about the price tag of this proposal. But yeah, it's been a real roller coaster for the students out there hoping to get some relief. Let's bring in Kate Shaw, our ABC News Supreme Court contributor. And, and Kate, part of the problem for the administration was the scope and scale of this plan. That's right, Wit. So it's undeniably a very large plan and program, but the administration defended that size and scope by basically saying, look, Congress passed a statute giving the administration, the Secretary of Education in particular, the power to waive or modify the provisions of student loans in the face of a national emergency. And Justice Elena Kagan, writing the dissenting opinion for herself and the two other Democratic appointees, basically said Congress gave the administration this power and the court should not second guess based on its vision of what fairness looks like or how much relief is too much, congressional judgment to give uh, agencies that power and the way the agency exercised that power. So in some ways, it's really a debate about the role of the court in second-guessing policy judgments uh, by both Congress and by administration agencies. Kate, thank you. Let's bring in Mary Bruce, our chief White House correspondent who's joining me here in the studio in New York. This is obviously a huge loss for the Biden administration. How are they reacting now? This is a huge blow to the president. This was a major campaign pledge that he made and was hoping to be able to fulfill. A source inside the White House telling me they strongly disagree with the court's decision. The question is what comes next? This White House has been very hesitant to discuss any plan B. They thought clearly that this court decision was going to be their best shot at fulfilling that promise. But the White House is telling me now that the president is going to come out and speak on this later today and that he is prepared for this scenario, that he will be announcing new steps. The question is, how sweeping will those steps be? Because, of course, there's only so much that the president himself can do. There are some possibilities here, though. The president can, I suspect you will hear him discuss uh, his other student debt relief plan. This is a plan that he already put out several months ago. It's an income-driven repayment plan that would essentially cap the amount that a federal student loan borrower has to repay to 5% of their discretionary income down from 10%. It is also possible that he could try and enact some kind of grace period on those repayments that Devin was talking about. They're set to begin again in October based on that debt deal that was agreed to a couple months ago. The question is, can he give people a little bit more breathing room here? Again, that's a solution that would just kick this down the road. One more thing, the president is going to make very clear, I'm told, that Republicans are to blame for this. Yeah, He's this going to try and pin this squarely on them as we head into the election. Yeah, a message he hopes to take to the people to try to gain votes, but only so much he could do legally moving forward. Mary Bruce, thank you. Okay, <clears throat> so that's all that that's the big news going on with the Supreme Court. Also, it just came out about 40 minutes ago that the Supreme Court has rejected a challenge to a Jim Crow era Mississippi voting law. When they say reject the challenge, you know, when you bring something to the Supreme Court, there has to you have to challenge it, you have to challenge the law, and the Supreme Court takes the law. You know, the Supreme Court has declined to hear this law for now. So that's also in the big news right now. You know, let me drink my water. I didn't have time to put the tea on, so this is water. And y'all know, when I drank on here, that I'm about to say some real shit.
I have been hearing people all my life, people in my family, you know, even some teachers, even, you know, um, high school classmates and college classmates say they don't vote because voting's not important and it doesn't affect your life. And you know what? I've always thought voting was important, but you know, I also said, okay, I can see why they come to that conclusion and I didn't judge them for that. However, in today's time, in the time we are living in, I have changed my opinion. You have to vote. You really do. The, the you know the reason these Supreme Court cases have gone this way is because when Donald Trump won that presidency in 2016, he put three of his people on that Supreme Court. And almost all the, and almost all of these Supreme Court decisions, even going back last year to the abortion one, you know, all his people voted to overturn or voted no to something. So yes, voting does matter. It does. And we have an election coming up next year. And I hope people are paying attention and realize, you know, in the blink of an eye, something could be changed. Because, you know, some people disagree with it. Or, you know, someone is paying these judges to vote a certain way. Okay, that's go- that's what seems to be coming out with Clarence Thomas, who's been taking expensive trips with some of these conservative, conservative lobbyists. And, you know, hopefully there's an investigation to his ass. But you know what? That's why voting is important. It really is. It is important to vote. Now... These court cases that just came out, you know, I just have to shake my head at the reaction to some of these things, especially on the conservative side. And if you're a conservative person listening to me, this isn't an attack on you, but this is just how I see it. Now, as far as, first of all, starting with this this web designer who didn't want to, you know, do work on, on gay weddings. I'm seeing a lot of conservatives going on Twitter and Instagram saying that why can't gay couples go somewhere else? Why can't gay couples, you know, why can't gay couples respect other people's wishes? You know, there was no gay couple. Like I, I went and I looked into this case. There was no gay couple. No one sued this woman. This woman had an objection to a, a non-discriminatory law in Colorado, and that's why she brought this court, this case up to the Supreme Court. And the fact that the Supreme Court took this case but won't take that Jim Crow case just lets me know it's a lot of dark money and politics driving all of this. There was no gay couple that was suing this woman for refusing to create a website for a gay wedding. Okay, there wasn't. This woman just had an objection to a law that gave gay people protection and she wanted to bring it to the Supreme Court to get rid of it. And again, like I said, if this bothers you, go out there and vote because they're already trying to bring back sodomy bans and they're already trying to get rid of gay marriage. And trust me, they are going to use the same playbook where even though there's no gay couple out there suing anybody, 
they will create something to bring the Supreme Court to overturn it. I guarantee you on that. Now, to this one about um, affirmative action, if you've been listening to this podcast for quite some time, you would know that I said affirmative action was going to be next. I said that last year when they overturned um, abortion. And I was right. And when you look into this affirmative action case, you know, it's very, it's, it's, it's very, it's a very interesting case. See, the problem was that Harvard, a, a group of Asian students felt like Harvard was discriminating against them in the name of affirmative action because at Harvard, Asians have to score higher than black students and white students and Latino students and Asians. The criteria for an Asian student at Harvard is very much different from a criteria for everyone else. And Harvard's and Harvard's um, defense was basically diversity was good and that even if they meant discriminating against Asian students, in the sake of diversity, that was okay. Again, let me drink my let me drink my water before I continue. Now, that logic of thinking just goes to show you: just because someone goes to the Ivy League or is associated with the Ivy League, does not mean they're the smartest person in the room. Okay, if you're arguing in front of a court case about racism and discrimination, it's not a good idea to admit that you that what you who you're representing is being discriminatory, but it's okay because it benefits one group over another. That's not a good argument to make in court. It's not. So I was not shocked that affirmative action was struck down. I was not. But I will say this. And again, before I continue, you know, this is not said from a place of hatred. This is not said from a place of I just like Asian people or I just like white people, etc. But what I don't understand is those Asian students, okay, I can I can see where where it might look discriminatory what Harvard was doing. And you know, uh, and it might not have been fair. But I don't understand why some of these Asian students just didn't sue Harvard. Like they sued the entire U.S. public college system. Like that that ruling affects all of all the U.S. colleges in America. You know, this doesn't just affect Harvard, it affects everyone. And I don't understand why some of the students just didn't sue Harvard because every school does not operate like Harvard. I also find it interesting that, you know, when it's black people, or even Hispanics, saying that a college didn't let them in, and a college is being racist towards them in the admissions process, the general response is, grow up, life's not fair, people are mean, you know, there's other colleges, just go apply to another college that will accept you. But you know, in this case, I'm seeing people who are who are you know applauding affirmative action being overturned are you know happy about this, you know, saying that Asians shouldn't have to you know be subjected to racism, Asians should be able to go to a school they want to go to, etc. So why the two different responses? 
Just a question. I also find it funny that some of these people are saying that meritocracy, and for those of all who don't know who meritocracy is, let me let's go to the let's go to Google. <clears throat> meritocracy is a ruling of influential class of educated or skilled people. It is the notion of a political system which economic goods or political power are best in individual people based on ability and talent rather than wealth or social class. That's the definition of meritocracy. So, you know, some of these conservative activists over here applauding affirmative action ending and saying we need to go back to meritocracy and, you know, how good you were, where people are, are judged on how good you are, not your background. That's some bullshit. Because there's plenty of people I went to high school with who got to certain colleges because their grandparents went there, because their parents are on a board of a hospital, because their family has donated money to the public, to the library there, or the science lab, or a building there. That ain't meritocracy. Them kids got there because of their social standing in life. So, you know, I just find that funny that, you know, some of these people are acting like college was always about, you know, people's scores or, you know, people's high school activities or the overall makeup of a high school student. And it's all, it's never been like that. It's never been like that. But you know what? No one's going to take that to the Supreme Court. I doubt we will ever see the Supreme Court case where the the court has to decide whether it's, it's, it's legal or not that a student can go to a certain school because their grandparents were an alumni or because their parents donated a school building. I doubt we will ever see that. Now, with this student loan <clears throat> one, this right here just really gets me, gets my blood going. Because, you know, I find it funny that it's okay for these PPP loans that some of these people were scamming during the pandemic. Okay, those loans are being forgiven. But these student loans, no, they're going to make you pay that back. And I mean, some of these people got these student loans during the pandemic. As soon as the pandemic hit, those people had just got their loans. And I'm sorry, you know, some people have not recovered from the pandemic. So how do you expect them to pay that money back? You know, they're, they're saying, I've, I've seen that people are saying that people should, should expect to start paying it back in August and October. Okay, you know, that's too soon. And honestly, you know, Biden's student loan um, forgiveness program wasn't the best, but it was something. And honestly, I think he was doing that because he was trying to get these people debts forgiven so their credit could go back up and be good again so they can invest more money in the economy to get the economy back on track. Because if you haven't been paying attention, the U.S. is slowly, well not slowly, the U.S. is fastly heading towards another recession. And, you know, he was trying to get the economy up and running again. But no, it just done got struck down. 
And hell, I think the Supreme Court has even more decisions they're coming out with, either today or tomorrow. So, I, again, I hope everyone's looking at these things and realize baby voting is damn important. And we have an election coming up next year. And it's already getting crazy in the political atmosphere. So y'all better be prepared to vote. And also put pressure on these on these people you put in office already. The people who were in office from the midterm of last year, you better be calling their offices and, and telling them, y'all need to do something. I can't afford to, you know, pay 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 this loan back right now. Or, you know, my, you know, my, my child deserves to go to this school and now she might not. Or, you know, and call about, you know, protections for my, my group, my minority group that I'm part of. That's what y'all need to do. And on that note, I'm your boy, Dean. I hope you enjoyed this piping hot tea.